0: If you have your Bibles, you can find your way to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. It's kind of a it's kind of a bittersweet morning for me, and the the fact that we're we're finishing our our spring sermon series, and next starting next week we'll be going uh, transitioning into what we're going to spend our time in the summer, and just talking about Abraham, just spending uh, time all summer in Genesis 12 through. 21 and just understanding Abraham's journey of faith and how God called him and, and led him. But um, we'll be doing that all summer. So today we're, we're finishing this idea of, of meeting Jesus. We've spent all, all spring looking at various stories of Jesus, looking at who Jesus is from the Gospel of Luke and now through some of the, the sermons, just earlier things that, that happened in the church that, that Luke recorded for us in Acts. And so really we've been looking at this picture of who does Luke give us in the person of Jesus as far as what's happened through the lives of the, the early church and then in his gospel account of Jesus's life. And so today we're, we're, we're finishing in chapter 18. We're looking at, at Paul being in, in Corinth for the first time. And so when we look at this idea, I, kind of, I want to ask you um, a question. This kind of what I want you to think through as we, we go through this text because I think it allows us to understand what Paul was dealing with. What, what, we Try to get us in the same mindset of what Paul was experiencing so that we can, can, and can approach the truth in the same way and, and see what's happening. And so uh, just ask yourself, has there ever been a time in, in, in life where you've thought to yourself, where is God? Like like for some reason you feel separated. Maybe life has gotten hectic. It's just crazy, and you're like, "Where's God in this?" I feel out of control. I feel like I don't feel His presence in the same way. Maybe maybe you've tried to to witness to neighbors or coworkers or or just people in your family, and you just feel like that that you're alone in those efforts. Like there's there's nothing there, And, and so your your mind goes to this idea of where is God? Maybe. It, it's, it's been a point where you've been resisting temptation. You feel like these attacks are coming over and over again. And, and you feel like you're alone. You're trying to resist. You're trying to live as God called you to live, yet you feel like you don't understand if he's even with you. And so when we look at that, that, that sets us up to, to really deal with what I think Paul was dealing with when we get to the first part of this. And then, so that allows us then to understand why we can live the Christian life in this increasing secular world because we realize who Christ is in our life and how we're supposed to live. So if you will, we're gonna go ahead and read um, our text today and then, and then we'll dig deeper into it. So in, in Acts chapter 18, we're gonna start in verse five. We're gonna skip the first four verses. We'll, we'll pick those up in a second. But we're gonna read five through verse 17. And so in Acts chapter 18, verse five, It says, When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and told them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. For now I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid, but keep on speaking, and do not be silent. For I'm with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the judge's bench. This man, they said, persuades people to worship God contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or moral evil, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about the words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the, gen, from the judge's bench. Then they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the judge's bench. But none of these things concerned Galileo. If you will pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we just we come to you, God, and we thank you that you've given us your truth. God, we thank you that, that we can know how to live The Christian life because you've given us your truth, you've given us your word, which is powerful and it's active. God, just pray that today that your spirit would move in our hearts, God, that you would speak to each one of us as only you can through the power of your spirit. And I just pray that that everything we do today and from here on would be to bring glory to your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. By the way, one thing I just remembered, I'm, I'm bad at, if you've, if you've been here a couple of times and you, get, you remember the announcement part, I'm terrible at remembering announcements, which by the way, there's a phone number on the text. I always forget to talk about this. That's so you can ask questions. So if while we're talking you have a question, that, that, that mess. That's, a, that's the church's phone, and so you can text that and then we can answer questions later. The, it won't come up here, it won't make a weird sound because I don't have it plugged into the system, but... That's so you can ask questions. So if I say something, you're like, I don't know what about that, then ask a question, and we'll try to respond to that either directly or, or we'll send an email, something like that. So that, I always forget that, and so you know it's been there like six weeks now, and this is the second time I've remembered to say that. So if you're wondering what that is, that's so you can ask questions. So we want to be able to interact within this. So when you look at that, when you, when you hear, hear me read that and you look at that, at, at the very first, you can, you can kind of sense Paul's frustration, right? He he he's kind of had enough, right? He's at his end, he's like he's at the end of himself, and and you can imagine why he's been alone. Remember, he's been he, the, the last last few weeks that we've been talking, he's been alone because when he was left, Bria, that, that Paul left Silas and Timothy back, and so he's been on his own. He was on his own in Athens preaching to the to that. And we talked about that for two weeks, and now here he is again. We find him in Corinth, and he's been alone. And you can kind of understand that if you've ever had this period where you feel alone, everything that happens seems to be magnified, right? That if you have this idea that there's really not anything positive happening, you just get more and more frustrated, right? You just, you feel like you're alone because you are, you don't have anyone, you like, there's no one you can turn to. And you feel that that's what Paul's happening. And, and there really hasn't been much fruit. Remember, he preached this amazing sermon on Mars Hill in Athens, and, and a few people responded. Some did, but few people responded, and so if you're, if you're doing something for a reason, you're not getting much return on that, and you feel alone, it just keeps spiraling downward, doesn't it? And on top of that, he's having opposition. It's not just there's no fruit, but there's active opposition against him, and so you can kind of see this idea that, man, he's just on his own, and then we also see, if you look at the first four verses, that he's, he's staying at the, the house of Aquila and Priscilla, he's working, which this is one of the first times, the first time, if I remember correctly, one of the only times that it lists that Paul's working. So that we can look at that and say, well, maybe he is out of money too. So he's been getting support from these other churches, and now that's running out, so he's having to take a job. So he's having to do all of this stuff at the same time, but he still understood his calling. If you look up at verse four, right before where we started reading, it says that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. So not only was he working, he was kind of at the end of his rope, he was working, but he still reasoned every Sunday. Every week, he was in the synagogue, still reasoning, still preaching. So despite what was happening in his life, he realized the point of it. It was to preach the gospel. And that's the first thing that we need to understand when we look at this story, that there's a, there's a priority to the Christian life, and that's to preach the gospel, and so often we get confused and we, we throw all these other things in front of the gospel, but if we don't prioritize preaching the gospel, then there's no reason for why we do the other things. We can't properly love people without preaching the gospel message, because that's why we love people that are unlovable. We can't serve people without understanding that the gospel message gives them an understanding of why we're serving people. So we have to prioritize preaching the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul happened. That's what he did. That's what he was doing even though he was working. And you see, all of this was happening. If you look at those first few verses, he's in Aquila and Priscilla's house that were only there because Claudius had kicked the Jews out of Rome. And so here, he's working with them. We can assume that he had the same trade. That's why he's living. He's working with them, making money, but he's also preaching. He understands that there's a priority to his life, and that's to preach the gospel. He was still doing that, and then look what happens. Finally, verse five, you see this fresh air, right? And then Silas and Timothy come. They finally caught up with him. They finally get there. He's got friends. And so what do they find him doing? He's occupied with preaching the message. That, that this is one of those times that if anyone would have allowed Paul to take a time off, you'd think it would have been then, right? And he's been preaching good. He's been having, you just need to take a break, right? And no one would have blamed him for that. And so when Silas and Timothy get there, He's occupied with preaching. He's preaching the gospel. He's telling those around him, even though that they weren't responding, even though that there was oppression, even though that he was running out of money, he still understands that he has to prioritize preaching the gospel. He's occupied with that. He's he's occupied this. Would you have been? I mean, if you're thinking about those times when you feel like God's not present in your life, that you feel like, where is he at? You feel alone and all those. Do you prioritize preaching the gospel even still? Do you have this moment to where you're, you're thinking, you know what, I can't experience him, but I'm gonna proclaim the gospel more because I can have faith in that. Are you able to prioritize that as Paul did? And, and we, can, we can see that none of us have been to the extremes that he has. He, he's just survived being stoned, few chapters earlier, and he's still prioritizing the gospel, right? That doesn't change for us. We should be able to prioritize the gospel because we know the gospel gives us an explanation of how we're supposed to live a Christian life in a culture that's increasingly secular. We preach the gospel because that gives us what we're supposed to do. That gives us our identity resting in Christ alone. It's the gospel message that does that. And so he's occupied with preaching the message, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the ultimate part of the gospel is that everything hinges on Jesus. And how you interact with that determines where you are. And that's what we see happen. But in verse 6, he gets frustrated, right? He's finally had enough of it. He says, when they resisted and blasphemed. So again, they're continuing to do that. He's preaching every day. He's occupying every day. And they're resisting it. And finally, he gets to the point where he says, enough's enough. And so he shook his robe, and he told them, what, your blood is on your own heads. And what he's doing in that is saying that I've preached to you the gospel. I've proclaimed everything of the gospel. I've continued to do that. Now, your, your blood's on your own head because if you're not responding to it, even though you've heard it, that's on you. And so we need to understand that, that when we preach the gospel to people, they're, they're accountable for that message. Their their blood's on their hand. That's why he can say, I'm innocent. He's saying, I'm innocent of this because I've preached the truth of the gospel. He's prioritized that. He's put that there. And sometimes we we have a tendency to look at something like this and think, well, then maybe we shouldn't tell people the gospel, right? But if we go into what he says in Romans, that creation is enough to condemn people because you can understand that there's God. And so we have to preach the gospel so we can tell them and people can understand of how salvation is possible. If they're condemned just by seeing creation we should be preaching the gospel the truth of the gospel the whole gospel so they understand then that it's in Christ alone that there's hope knowing full well that that it's not up to us that we're going to preach the gospel so that we can say I'm innocent of this and so can you do that and that's a that's a a place to kind of stop and think that that are you prioritizing the gospel message enough and how you interact with people and telling people about it friends family co-workers, neighbors, to where you can say, I'm, I'm innocent of that because you've proclaimed the gospel? Or does that make you think, man, I've got some work to do, right? That, that I'm called to be a messenger of the gospel. This isn't just preaching it in a setting like this. This is living the gospel and preaching it. It's still using words and understanding that, that apart from the gospel, there is no hope. And so what does he do? He leaves, right? And this, again, you, you see this. If you look through Acts, we've seen this a couple times in a row. He, he starts with the Jews, and then he goes to the Gentiles. He starts in the synagogue, and he goes to the Gentiles. Because that's what the gospel message was. It was to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. That's Romans 1.16. It's the power of God for salvation. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And so when he looks at this, he sees this. He's saying, I'm innocent of these people. They're resisting. They're blaspheming. So I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So much so that he moves right? He, he switches place. He doesn't leave the city, but he moves. And all of a sudden, we see that he's in a new house. He's in Titus Justice's house as a worshiper. But notice where he lives. We can't, we, can't, we can't miss this. Where does he live? Next door to the synagogue, right? So he's like, he's here in the synagogue preaching to the Jews. He says, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm just gonna go next door and live with this guy, right? It, it's funny, and it? It's like, you weren't listening to there, you're gonna be able to listen to. But part of that's strategic, Right? Because there's are still believers. We find there're still believers in the synagogue, not everyone was resisting. And so he's next door. He's preaching to the Gentiles, but he also has access to those who are still going to sin, those believers that are there. So he's still prioritizing the gospel. He's just being strategic about where he's at. And, and this Titus Justice is interesting. Um, a lot of people say that, that his first name was actually Gaius. And, and the reason they say that is, is in Romans sixteen twenty three he talks about his host, Gaius. And so people are saying, well, maybe that this is that same person that wasn't a full name that was mentioned here by Luke. And again, in 1 Corinthians 1, he mentions the same person, but he mentions him with Crispus. And so it makes sense that maybe these are the same people that, that Paul's talking about here because it's his, his host, there he's there. And so he's prioritizing the gospel even with location. He has access to the believers, but he's also with the Gentiles. He's also saying there's people that don't know. And so I'm going to prioritize the gospel and I'm going to go to them as well. And that's what we should understand is that we've been positioned in a place now to prioritize the proclamation of the gospel. That that all of us go in different walks of life, we have different neighbors. We have different people that we interact with. We have different friends. We have different family members. And if we all prioritize the gospel, then the gospel goes out. And then people respond to that. Not because of our proclamation, but because of what God has done in their life. Because of the power of the Spirit. And so you have to ask yourself, when you look at something like this, that we can't say that there's anything worse than what Paul was experiencing. So we can't get away out there. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we prioritizing the proclamation of the gospel? Because if we're gonna live a Christian life in a secular world, there has to be a difference and the difference is the gospel. The difference is the gospel, the true gospel, the biblical gospel, not this altered version, not making stuff kind of rounding off the edges to make it easier to handle. You just preach the gospel and we can preach the gospel because we understand that it's not us that's giving it the power and that's what we go to next. We see that there's a a Christian priority but there's also a Christian power and we look at this we see kind of a, it's picking up speed. And at verse 8, in Crispus, the leader of the synagogue believed the Lord. So that right there gives us that, that not everyone was resisting and blaspheming because you have the leader of the synagogue. That's, so that's a Jew. He had to be there. So Crispus, he's the leader of the synagogue. He believed along with his whole household. This is one of those examples that we see over and over in Scripture to where one person believes and then everyone in the household is saved. It's an amazing thing. And, when they, and many of them, when they, Corinthians, when they heard what well, they believed and were baptized. So there, there's positive things happening now, right? He, he's gone to the Gentiles, things are happening, right? He's picking up. And it's interesting to me now that then the Lord comes to him. Because so often when we're, when we're frustrated, we don't understand what God's doing in our lives, we feel like He's not there, and then things start picking up, who do we start giving credit to? Ourselves, right? Because how easy would it have been for Paul? I mean, look at these people. It's happening. The leader of the synagogue now all of a sudden is believing. Many people are believing. Good job, Paul. But he, but he doesn't. And so what happens then is the Lord comes in. In verse 9, he says, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. And see, what we need to understand in that is that just because things are picking up doesn't mean that they're always going to be better. And so this is one of those examples. Paul, over and over again, Paul gets comfort from the Lord. He's a shipwrecked. He gets comfort. The the Lord spoke to him in Damascus when he was saved. And so over and over you see all these things happening. The Lord comes to Paul and, and he gives him an understanding of whose power it is. And so we kind of get the the what and the how of of the the gospel life, the what and the how of the Christian life in a secular world. The what is, that's the first part of this verse. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Do not be silent. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to not be afraid by, by what's happening. We're not supposed to be afraid so that we can keep speaking, prioritizing the gospel proclamation and not be silent about it. That's what we have to do. That's the what to the Christian life in a secular world. We are not afraid. We keep speaking. We're not going to keep silent. We're prioritizing the gospel message because God is with us. And see verse 10, for I am with you. Those, those, Those five words right there should be everything for us. Over and over again, you go back through scripture. Every time God's calling someone to do something, all through the Old Testament, he always tells them, do not be afraid. And that he's with you. That he's he's with you. And so when we see that, when we see that we're not supposed to be afraid, we're supposed to prioritize the gospel. We're going to keep speaking, not be silent. Why? Because he's with us. That's what we have to rest on. So when you need strength, remember that. Isaiah 41.10, he's saying the same thing. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. I'll hold you. Hebrews 13.5 we see that he'll never forsake us nor leave us. And so when you're at this point and you're trying to prioritize the gospel and you feel like all this oppression's coming, you feel like people are opposing that, even family members saying, why are you living like that? We can remember that we're not supposed to be afraid, that we should keep prioritizing the gospel. Why? Because he's with us. That's everything that we have. That's all we need is the realization that he's with us. We aren't silent because he's with us. That's that's all we need. We should, we should just be able to look at those first five words of verse 10 and have confidence and security. Because we know the gospel is that God loved us when we were unlovable. That he sent his son for us when we didn't deserve it. And so we can approach life when everything's crazy. We can prioritize the gospel when people aren't responding. Because we know that he's with us. And then look, he gives Paul the reassurance that's not always to us, but he gives it to Paul. He says, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. That, that kind of applies to us if we're honest, because I, I don't know anyone that's physically been hurt for being a Christian. It just doesn't happen here. We, we have, it happens places, yes. But, so what Paul's saying here, and you notice that he would need this, wouldn't he? If you've looked at the last couple weeks with us, Paul would need this reassurance. Like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Okay, they're still beating me, right? They're still stoning me. And so God gives them this encouragement. He says, no one's going to lay a hand on you or hurt you. But why is this? See, here's the what for. Here's the what are we doing this for. We know we're not supposed to be afraid. We're going to prioritize the gospel. We're going to keep speaking. We're not going to be silent. We know that God's with us. And then Paul here gets this, no one will hurt you. Why? Because God has many people in this city. we look at this, what, what the Lord gave him in this vision, that he has many people in this city. That's why Paul needs to not worry. That's why Paul needs to realize that I'm with you. You might have been alone. Your friends have come. You might have been alone. Nothing was happening. You're seeing some response. But remember that I'm with you. And you're here because I have people in this city. That God has people in this city. God knows already. This is, this is divine election there. You can't, can't argue that because I have people in this city. The point was to preach the gospel so that God could save those whom he'd called. He has people in this city and so we can then take that to realize that, that that there are people around us that God has called. And so they need people to live a Christian life, prioritize that gospel. Proclaim the gospel even when it's people are against it, even when people say, "Well, you're just living something that was outdated and it's ancient." And so when we understand this, we realize that there are people around us that we have to proclaim the gospel. And if you've talked to people around, it's, it, it amazed me, I'll be honest, it amazed me when we first started uh, planting water, how many Bibles that I gave away? Because I have like 15. And it amazed me how many people that we talked to were just walking around our neighborhood and they were talking about planting a church. They didn't understand why we'd start a new church. And then they're like, they didn't have a Bible. Right? Not everyone around here has that because not everyone has been blessed to, to be raised in that. And so we have to prioritize the gospel there's people right here in our community that don't even own scripture so how can they know who god is if they don't own the scripture well you have people in their life prioritizing the gospel preaching that to them and giving them access to the word because we know that god has people that we don't know who he's called so we proclaim the gospel we prioritize that even in a culture that says you shouldn't do that we we can't be silent we can't be silent. And then look what happens. Verse 11, it's kind of interesting. And he stayed there a year and six months. It's interesting that Luke said that, but when we think about it, if you look at Paul's ministry, up to this point, he was always in places a short time, a week, two weeks, a month. But, but right here, all of a sudden, there's this switch. And so he, he, he's been encouraged by the Lord, for he's with you. And now all of a sudden, he stays a year and six months. And the next place he goes is to, to Ephesus. And he stays like Two years. And and he's in Rome for a couple years. Well, he's on house arrest, he's waiting, eventually being executed for the cause, he's preaching the gospel. But he stays in places longer after this. And I have to think that it's because he realized all of a sudden that if I dig down, if I put roots down, I can preach the gospel and I can see that take root, I can make disciples, and we can continue to do that. He still sent people out. He still encouraged people where he'd been, but he stays longer in places. And so we should realize that it takes time it takes time sometimes the gospel it, it, there are times where you could preach the gospel and people just respond and it's amazing you're like man i wish it was that easy all the time right but oftentimes it's not and oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better because people reject that especially if we're, we're, we're preaching the whole gospel because then we're, we're preaching a gospel that that Christ has to become more desirable than everything else. That causes people to change their lives and their desires. And so when we preach the gospel, we have to realize that it might get worse before it gets better. But the results are on God, not on us. We're not going to save anyone. And so you are strong enough because you realize that there's a power that's outside of us that allows us to prioritize the gospel that allows us to do that, allows us to stand firm. And, and really, that's the next phase of living the Christian life is to realize that there's a privilege. And it's a privilege that a lot of times, if we're honest, this, this type of text and this type of, of, of sermon here feels daunting. Like, there's no way I could do that. And then it just gets better, right? Look at, look at verse, verse 12, what happens, okay? What, what's cool about verse 12, too, little, little history note, is Galio, here, the proconsul of Achaia, that's 51 AD. It's, there's, there's, there's parts where sometimes the Bible is very specific. And there's inscriptions that they have and exactly know when this man was proconsul of Achaia. So we know that Paul was talking to him around 51 because he was only in this position for about a year. And so it's just really cool to understand that, that here we have Luke giving us a specific person and time. So we can look back in history and this this is happening in 51 AD. That's when it's happening. It's a historical fact. This gospel isn't some thrown out thing that's just made up. This is historical. So we know exactly when this has happened because we know exactly when this man was here. It's, it's just exciting. I don't know if you're excited. It's exciting to me when you get specific stuff. You're like, wait a second. It is real. It is attached to life. It's not some crazy thing. But notice what happens. They bring him again, again in front of the people and they start opposing him. And this is why I say that it's a privilege because we can... Sh- if we're understanding the Christian life, if we understand the gospel, we should consider it a privilege to serve God even when we're oppressed. Warren Wiersbe is talking, he defines faith this way. He says that faith simply means obeying God's will in spite of feelings, circumstances, or consequences. There never was an easy place to serve God, and if there was an easy place, it's possible something is wrong. Right? That's faith. It's obeying God's will despite what happens. And that's why when we look at this, we can have an understanding that, it, that it's a privilege to this. It's a privilege to see opposition because we're bearing that name, right? It still happened he wasn't harmed. Notice that, that, that this time the Romans, and actually over and over we see the Romans are actually on Paul's side kind of. It's interesting to that. Like they bring him to stop and the guy's like, I don't want to deal with that. Whether he was lazy, we, we, you know, he just wasn't concerned. So what they're bringing him to do It's kind of opposite of what happened to Jesus, right? All of a sudden, Jesus is coming because there was a revolutionary side. That's what they saw with Jesus. But Paul's not trying to overtake the government. He's just preaching. So the guy's like, no, you handle your own stuff. And he protects him, right? Because what? No one's going to lay a hand on you and hurt you. And so opposition still happened, but he still proclaimed the gospel. That's why we should consider it a privilege because we bear that name. And if you look at the New Testament, if you look at Scripture over and over again, people who are oppressed all of a sudden are strong. And if you look at the history of the church, every time that the church is marginalized or tried to to be wiped out, it responds stronger. Because through the gospel and living a Christian life, we realize that there's a power beyond us. And that gives us the ability to stand firm. We can't ignore that reality that, that opposition will happen. And, and actually, we were talking um, a couple weeks ago that, that we're actually blessed right now to be a generation, to be a time in the church in our country that we actually get to stand up for the gospel and actually define what it means because culture isn't. All of a sudden, there's not cultural Christianity. There's just being secular. There's being Christian. There's no gray area anymore and we should consider that a privilege. We, we get to actually be the church and show why we believe what we believe and stand firm in what we believe. And, and really, if we look over, if you look at 2 Timothy 3, if you want to turn there, you can. But in, in 2 Timothy 3, there's a really interesting spot where Paul's talking to Timothy. And then, and so 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, for you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecution and sufferings that come to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. We just talked about those a few weeks ago. And then he says, what persecutions I endured. Like, exclamation, like, I endured these things. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And then in verse 12, we get this. In fact, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll be killed, but you'll be persecuted. You'll be oppressed. You'll be opposed because of that. And then... If we skip down a little bit in 2 Timothy, verse 16 all of a sudden happens. We all, you might know verse 2 Timothy 3.16. It's all scriptures inspired by God. And it's probably for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness. And what an amazing re- realization that Paul's telling Timothy here that, hey, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to be persecuted. That, that it's going to happen. There's going to be oppression. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. But all scripture's inspired. So how do we know that it's okay? Because we have the word. We, we have the word of God with us, and so we can see that. We can understand that it's a privilege because we can see what Paul did. Paul got comfort from the Lord, giving him the said, You're not going to be hurt. I have people saved. And so now we can do that, and we can take the scripture and can understand what it's here for. That we can have security and consider it a privilege when opposition and oppression happen because we know that in scripture who God is, that we have the word. And, and for some of you, that just freaks you out to think it's a privilege to be. You want it's just like the comfort life. Like you're not going to cause any problems. You, it's like just I want to I appease everything. You just kind of, you know, the smooth road's the best road to travel on, right? And you're, but, but that's not the life that we get because we're not made for this. We have something better. And so really the, to understand how you relate to opposition really is, is a, a good understanding of who you are in Christ. Because if you claim to be in Christ and you claim to understand the gospel, yet you freak out when people oppose you, then I don't think you understand the gospel. It's almost a test of, of regeneration, almost a salvation test in the sense is, do you consider Christ more desirable than anything that anyone can do? And I, I get that that's daunting. I get that that's hard. I'm not... I struggle with that all the time, but that's why we prioritize the gospel. Because when we're preaching the gospel to other people, all of a sudden we hear it. And then we apply that to our lives. We preach the gospel to ourselves, and we proclaim it to other people, and we realize that there's a power inside of us that's not from us. That's where the Spirit empowers us to do that. And we can do amazing things if we'll just look at Christ and see how desirably he is compared to everything else. That's the point of the Christian life is it's okay that it's in a secular world because it's not made for this world. We don't have to rest on this. We don't have to change with culture. We don't have to. It doesn't matter if people say that we're we're outdated or this doesn't apply anymore. And and there's people within the church that do that. There's people that change the gospel within the church and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. Well, if you take away part of it, you've taken it all away. And if, you, if you round one edge, you have to round it all. Or it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make, And so there, there's no changing the gospel to fit our culture. The gospel wasn't written for our culture. The gospel is written for all time. The truth doesn't apply just to us. It applied throughout history. And so we can rest on that. We can understand that all scripture is this. We don't have to change scripture and, and make it fit our culture desires. We should change our lives based on scripture. Because it's all breathed out by God. It's all written by him. His word is powerful. And that's what we can do. And again, just to, just to kind of end with the idea that this just isn't Paul, because sometimes we get stuck on one person and we're like, well, that was just what Paul believed, but there's other people. He, just because he wrote two thirds of the New Testament, he didn't write it all. And so how does that fit in? Well, if we look at Peter, I like using Peter because Peter was the scared one, right? Peter was the chicken. Right, He's the one that ran. He's the one that cut the dudes here. He's, he's, which is funny because he was the one always running and denying everything and he's the one that's trying to use the sword. But, but if you look at First Peter 4.12, it says, dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So when you, you start prioritizing the gospel in, in, a, in our increasingly secular culture, don't be surprised when people come against you. Don't be surprised when people call you out. Don't be surprised when people try to oppress you or or to push you away as something unusual. But instead, rejoice that you share the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. So don't be surprised when oppression comes, but realize that you're suffering the same thing that Christ did, and then you're going to get to experience his glory. It's an amazing thing. And this is Peter, the one that denied everything, the one that ran. Now all of a sudden, why does he change? Because he saw the risen Lord. He understood the gospel, understood what was happening. And then in verse 14, he says, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory of God rests on you. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or meddler. So don't live that way. Don't suffer as they do. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but glorify God in having that name. And I pray that we would be a people that understand that. I pray that we would be a people that when we suffer, the people oppress us because we're prioritizing the gospel, that we don't just shrink back, but that we stand strong because we bear that name. It's an amazing thing to be a child of God. And it should drive us in everything that we do. We shouldn't be afraid because our culture is going more and more secular. That's an opportunity to preach the gospel that previous generations of Americans haven't had. Right? They haven't had that ability. All of a sudden now we get this amazing time. And so let's be people that consider it a great joy. A privilege that that we might see oppression because we're going to prioritize the gospel. That That excites me. And it should excite you. If you understand who Christ is, if you realize the gospel in your life, then that's exciting. Not in some stupid way you just run off and go crazy, but it's exciting that you actually get to proclaim what you believe in a way where people don't understand it. You get to build those relationships. And I pray that we would be a people marked by prioritizing the gospel and considering a privilege when we see trials and oppression in a secular world because we understand that the power to live that life is not within us because of us it's within us because of what Christ did on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your truth. God I thank you that that we have your spirit within us that we can prioritize your gospel message that we can proclaim that message to the people that that you've placed us around, God, that you've set us in this time in redemptive history to preach your gospel and I pray that we would prioritize that. I pray that everything that we do, we would focus on your power at work in our lives, on your spirit in our lives. God, I just pray that that we would get to a point where we're secure in our identity in Christ that we could consider it a privilege. That people would oppose us as Christians, so that we might proclaim the majesty of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I just pray for those that that we will, will talk to. God, I just pray for those that are here. If they haven't submitted their lives to you, that they would, God, because they understand the ramifications. God, that they understand the gospel and that in Christ alone is hope and salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.